listening to Golf's Drive to 95 in association with the Tennessee Golf Foundation. Once again, your host, Rodney Cole. It's an honor to have our next guest in the studio today. Um, He started playing golf at the age of eight on a nine-hole course in New York. He graduated from Wake Forest University and became the first executive director of the Tennessee Section PGA, where his hard work, dedication, and visioning encouraged Tennessee golf professionals and amateur organizations to work more closely together. He has been an inspiration and mentor to many. In 1999, his body of work, vision, and leadership led to creation of the Tennessee Golf Foundation, a nonprofit organization that continues to contribute and lead growth and development of junior golf within the state of Tennessee. His bio includes many years of service as executive director of the Tennessee PGA and the TGA, becoming the first president of the Tennessee Golf Foundation and leading the vision of creating Golf House Tennessee, which we'll talk about more later in the show. He served on the board for the Arnold Palmer Company. He was connected closely with four U.S. presidents. In 2008, he became an elected member of the Royal and Ancient Golf Club in St. Andrews, Scotland. He retired in 2018 and remains active in golf advising and consulting to assist promoting and enhancing the game worldwide. He, along with uh, current Tennessee Golf Foundation president, Whit Turnbow, have been very gracious with their time and expertise helping us with the Murray County Junior Golf Initiative. I'm honored and extremely thankful to have Mr. Dick Horton joining us here in the studio today to chat a little bit about his career, some of the things he's experienced in a a very long and positive career in the game and the business of golf. Mr. Horton, I first met you, it was the early 80s in... uh, at Stony Brook Golf Club, the Mid-State Classic, Wendell Harmon, Jerry Brunson were the owners. And, man, I remember you coming out there, spending a lot of time making that, getting coordinated with the owners, making that tournament happen. And then the very next week, I might see you in Johnson City, Tennessee, running a junior event with Alan Richardson. And then the next week, I might see you in Memphis. You must have put a million miles on your car back in the early days of uh, uh, going around the state of Tennessee. It sure is an honor to have you here. I just wanted to talk a little bit uh, about your career, and maybe we could just kind of tee it up there with uh, maybe starting back in the early 1970s when you kind of got here to Tennessee and how that got started. I know you had a very limited budget with uh, once you got hired to uh, – kind of grow golf in Tennessee and bring those governing bodies of the professional organization and the amateur organization, blending them together, getting them to work together. It was kind of a tough time, if I recall, from some of the stories I've heard in the past. Can you talk a little bit about your start? Sure, sure. Um, Well, I was was hired um, by a group of golf professionals that felt like that they needed an organization, had a lot of ideas, but somebody needed somebody else needed to do it. And they had their own jobs and they were busy. And being a golf professional is not an easy job. You wear multiple hats, you deal with multiple people, and everybody thinks that you're uh, privileged and wealthy because you're in golf. And 
it just is more much more difficult job than you think. But I was fresh out of college, um, did not know really what I uh, wanted to wanted to do as a career, but I knew I uh, I knew I loved the game, and um, so I sent a resume off and um, didn't hear back. For, I was teaching school, I didn't hear back for oh gosh, maybe six to eight months. And I got a call from Bill Hunt in Bristol, Tennessee, and said, if uh, you're still interested for that job, you sent a resume in. Uh, we're meeting at Bellmead Country Club in Nashville on Monday morning at 9 o'clock. And I said, well, yes, I'm still interested in it. It's Friday afternoon. Um, let me look at my map. Oh, boy, it looks like it's an 18-hour drive. <laughs> I told him I said I'll be there. So, I mean, I just loaded whatever I had in my car and uh, had an old Camaro, a four-speed Camaro, but only three of the speeds worked. And, Drove, and, and also you had a Beatles haircut. I, think I, I don't know that. about that now. I didn't have much hair and have none now. But <laughs> and, and drove, you know, straight through and, um, you know, showed up at Bellmead Country Club on 9 o'clock in the morning and, I think it was actually I had the last interview. There were four or five guys that were interviewed ahead of me, and sports writer from Bristol and assistant golf professional and four people from Tennessee, and I was the last one. And I came in, and I just said, well, I did some homework and found out what the other 14 executive directors in the other 41 sections, there were only 14 at that time, what they were doing, and so I rolled out this plan, and those guys said, well, you know, I um, we don't have a plan. You're the first one that's, that has a plan. Right. Like your ideas, we'll get behind those kind of things. And then I think they went on to tell me, um, you know, we got one more interview a week later, and it's going to be in Memphis, Tennessee. And I said, well, where's Memphis from here? <laughs> and they said, well, it's three hours west. I said, oh, well, okay, I'll, I got a fraternity brother that lives in Tennessee. I'll go stay with him. He's in Kingsport. How close is that to Memphis? <laughs> so anyways, I showed up down there, and I had found out that the four guys ahead of me all had withdrawn their names by the end of the interview because they had jobs, and they said, well, this isn't even a job. You don't know what you want to do. And so they said, you've got the job. And I said, well, you know, what does it pay? And they said, well, it'll pay $7,200. And I said, well, that's okay. And they said, but you need to understand this. We've only got $3,600 in the bank. So unless you raise $3,600 in the first six months, this will be a part-time job instead of a full-time job. So I said, well, that sounds like a fair deal. I was single. I didn't have, I had through everything I owned in my car and off we ran. And, and I will say that PGA golf professionals are a are, are wonderful individuals. They're giving. They put up with a lot of um, you know members and golfers of all different tracks. But but these golf professionals said, "You tell us what to do, and we'll do it." Right. And so we put together plans. Junior golf was a big part of it, right out of the box. We also felt like handicapping a universal or not universal statewide handicap system everybody on the same system calculating handicaps the same way at the same time was the way to go because a lot of other big golf associations were doing that 
but it was only the amateur bodies that were doing that. So lo and behold, the amateur body was negotiating with one company mm-hmm. and the PGA was negotiating with the other. And I mean, it was custom made for a train wreck right. and they didn't like each other anyways. Right. And so I guess, um, I said, well, look, you know, let's make this thing work together. And, and both groups said, well, we don't work with those other guys and said, well, we're, we're, we're going to need both groups to make this work. And I think from that very start, our, our method of operation was going to be a cooperative culture. You needed everybody on that bus headed in the same direction and you needed to, you know, if it was good for golf, you needed to do it and you didn't really care who got the credit. And so we, we embarked on, and it was, it was a very unusual situation because no other States had put those two groups together. They pretty well were, competing for golf courses, competing for money. And, you know, the one was the professional game is a professional and prize money and the amateurs is for trophies and fun. And um, I found out pretty quickly by attending some meetings on each side that there was really no love for the other side in, in almost every state. And so, um, you know, I you, you read now of all the – you know, the, the segregation issues in, in the early 70s and that. Well, we had every bit of that in golf. We had amateurs and we had professionals. And I went to a national conference. It took two years to get invited. They said if I had any dealing with the pros, I wasn't invited. And finally, I just talked my way into the meeting and you know, I sat on one side of the room and the other 40 guys sat. It was just, it was really, a, it was an eye-opener. But anyways, long fast forward, um, everybody left their, you know, guns at the front door, came in and said, if it's good for golf, we'll do it. We went through and went door to door, club to club, committees. You know, we I sold handicaps in funeral rooms, um, literally, and yeah. up in uh, – Smoky Mountain Country Club in Newport, Tennessee. Uh, the undertaker there was uh, uh, was the golf chairman. Went to his place, and he was working on a body, and we were selling handicaps. Um, so, in a long story short, um, it it was a fifty fifty partnership. We'd right. we'd split the money, and I would say that the golf professionals got seventy five percent of the golf courses signed up. And generally, it was because they had to give up a, a concession. They were it was a source of income, not that much, but they were willing to do that. And we figured out how they could still make, you know, have that as a source of income and 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 also deliver the same service. The amateur body probably delivered twenty five percent of the courses, but they were the big elite courses, the very private clubs, where the golf professional didn't make the final decision. And so we sold those and i think i don't know maybe 10 years later we had 44,000 people all having the same handicap service and so that that was really the beginning of of a cooperative culture between all of the ruling bodies the the women's organization ran two or three tournaments all volunteer no money um and i think one of the well what i would deem as the things I was most proud of was in the year 2000, 
the ladies merged with the men's on the amateur side. So now we had every we had everybody all under the same, um, you know, under under the same culture. Right. We we had the juniors, the seniors, uh, the women, the men, the amateurs, the professionals. Um, and, and there were still other groups, superintendents, club managers, but that was later to come. And uh, so I, I would say really at the end of the day, cooperative culture is what's um, been our success and growth model and, and, and quite frankly envied by a lot of other states trying to figure out how to put those bodies together. Listening to Golf's Drive to 95 in association with the Tennessee Golf Foundation. Once again, your host, Rodney Cole. The model that you were instrumental in creating, uh, which started with uh, maybe around 1990 when the Tennessee Golf Foundation and you got connected with Mr. Lupton in Chattanooga, and maybe you could talk about how that you know, the other states and what you've created, been able to be a part of the visioning creation with Golf House Tennessee, how that has been embraced by other states and this cooperative culture you're talking about is growing and right. being being appreciated. Well, I, I think it um, it was a natural progression for us. We, we still had an amateur body by itself, still had a PGA section, and um, if we were going to do a foundation, it was going to be focused on youth. That was everybody can ra- rally around the root, the, the, the young people. And we knew we were going to need money. And so, um, you know, the thought of, you know, could we get everybody under the roof? We, we already had myself working for the different groups, but we didn't have a home. We didn't have any real joint projects other than handicapping. And, um, there were there were foundations being created in all kinds of other you know there's um, i mean you just name all all the nonprofits but sure. but there wasn't anything really in golf for for the youth first tee was not yet arriving and so the the idea came along when the legends club uh, was was building their facility on 300 acres in franklin that there was a piece of property there that had 15 acres on it, an old antebellum home that they were unable to buy, and it was now for sale. And um, some of our directors from Chattanooga area um, had suggested, you know, um, if you're looking for somebody to maybe bring this dream to reality, um, Jack Lupton, founder of the Honors Course and a member of Augusta National, uh, he he might embrace it, and right. so uh, I had a chance to meet with with Mr. Lupton in uh, I believe it was late 1992. Um, by then we had a foundation, but it it was only a foundation on paper. We didn't have any activities, and went to him and and said, you know, Mr. Lupton, we've got a vision to to really do something different here. I said we we've got the amateurs, the professionals, the women, the juniors. We have a foundation now dedicated to the juniors. Uh, we're in a very difficult turf grass growing region. You know, the southern region we're in is, you know, it can get 105 in the summer and, you know, minus 10 degrees in the winter, and it's tough to grow grass. Our guys really struggle with that. We've got club managers. They're organized. 
we could bring everything all together under one roof, um, create a hall of fame, have, have a, a youth golf course to teach, have a place to put our camp that we started in 1973. It was an overnight camp, longest running one of anywhere in any, any, any state. Which, uh, and, by the way, when I went to Fall Creek Falls for golf camp, yourself and a yeah. uh, local resident and longtime golfer Tom Patton were the coaches uh-huh. up there then. And y'all had your hands full when the group from Columbia come up to oh, uh, yeah. terrorize the place. Yeah, and uh, still see some of those guys today and, and see their grandchildren too. Yeah. But anyways, we, we put everybody together, just shared this vision with Jack of uh, what we wanted to do and where we wanted to do it. And, um, you know, he was he was kind to buy into the vision. Um, you know, he held me accountable, but it was it was an incredible journey because the first time he ever set foot on the property was opening day. And to have somebody make a, you know, that large a gift and um, just continue to say, tell me what you need when you need it. Yeah. And, um, you know, every time I ask him anything, it was, you know, I usually, I mean, I we had some, you know, things, extra things we wanted to right. do there. But um, we opened in April of, um, you know, this this month, I think we're almost exactly on the day today of, of when we actually opened golf house Tennessee in 1995. Oh, yeah. So, um, and the rest is, is I know, in, good. I know in my travels, uh, you know, folks are very aware of the success that has come from golf house, Tennessee, how it's created a lot of junior golfers. I know your Brent Snedeker tour is linked in with golf house closely. And that's been another Avenue to grow junior golf in, in the state. And I mean, Folks are, are paying attention and, and looking in other parts of the country to do a, a model very similar, and I think that's only good for growing the game. We were pretty – we were – I think we we had the right um, – once we, once we engaged a, a young player, male or female, we, we made it a real habit to stay with them all the way through college. When they came back home, try to continue with them, and our tour players – you know, we you could see the ones bubbling up that were really going to be stars, and we always just stayed with them in a, not in a monetary sense, but you know, just watching them, you know, grow and be successful on the tour. And I think every single one, I can't remember any of our own Tennessee golf professionals, tour professionals that just said, you know, I don't want anything to do with you guys. Right. Uh, you know, I'm I've got my own world yeah. and. Uh, They've been unbelievable. Yeah. I mean, you know, and as you said, you know, Brent Snedeker, Todd Stallings, and really every, every every one of them have been have been marvelous. Well, just to bring that home here, where we had our first Murray County Junior Golf Initiative fundraising event at Graymere, um, November of last year, and Brent Snedeker and the Tennessee Golf Foundation donated a lot of equipment that was. Uh, you know, if you come out and play with us for the benefit tournament, you get a club. And I know that so many people have told me how much they appreciated that. And, you know, it's a club that, you know, it's, they hold special to, you know, their uh, a collection of clubs and things like that. So it's it's really, really neat what the, the ripple effect of the Tennessee Golf Foundation and, you know, across from smaller communities all the way into your larger communities like Nashville and Memphis and Knoxville Y'all touched the state, and you 
you touch a lot of uh, junior golfers, and those are the future of these communities, and they're the future golfers. So uh, growing the game, is that's kind of where I was going with my next question. Some of the things you're seeing with the growth of the game, um, you know, with junior golf, with the growth of the game, with maybe agronomics, and maybe even a kind of related to your visit. You told me you played, got to play Augusta, and this is being uh, – all, uh, the Masters Week, uh, maybe share an experience of your time when you got to go play Augusta. Sure. Well, we, um, I think, I think to the first part, um, you know, the the programs that we've seen now, um, there's a tremendous interest in in golf and junior golf, and that's evolved from a lot of different things. Um, you know. Some of the contact sports, concussions are a big are, are a big issue for parents. Kids don't necessarily understand them that much, but and and I won't say that's been the success of golf, but it certainly is. You want to look other places for sports, but you know I think I think on the Snedeker Tour, it's called the Sneds Tour. We've got eighteen or nineteen hundred kids. We play a we play a hundred thirty five event schedule in forty five days in the summertime. With a staff of 35 interns, who are mostly all college kids that played on the Sneds Tour and now play college golf, I think we've got 465 of our juniors are on active college golf rosters from D1, 2, and 3 junior college on community college, which is I think last time I knew it was fourth or fifth in the entire country of kids being recruited for. Division One college golf teams, and that makes no sense at all. Right. You know, you got Florida, California, Texas ahead of us, and we're right. fourth. Right. I mean, that just doesn't relate. You're listening to Golf's Drive to Ninety Five in association with the Tennessee Golf Foundation. Once again, your host, Rodney Cole. Do you have uh, a lot of scholarships for young junior uh, girls golfers that are not, and a lot of colleges are looking to give scholarships to junior girls golfers for, you know, their skills and to play on the teams that go each year and they can't fill the teams out. Yeah, I, I think I think one of the things that, you would really, if you dig down a little bit of of those 465, is the number of, of girls that are playing. Right. And that's because they grew up in programs. Um, but that cat's out of the bag. Right. I mean, you know, people are, families are wanting their, their daughters to learn to play. Right. And um, so I, I, th- I think that that's been a, an exciting part. But then you got Scott Stallings that has a kids play free in Knoxville. We operate two little nine-hole golf courses in Knoxville. I think first year Scott did it, we had 125 rounds. We had 18,000 rounds of kids that played in Knoxville last year and never paid a greens fee. Scott wow. and Scott and his, through his efforts and help, uh, kids play free. Wow. And so, you know, it's, it's things like that where you've got, um, you know, Sean McKeel, PGA champion from Oak Hill back in Rochester, you know, very, very unusual surprise winner there. Um, I would guess maybe living in Memphis that 
that Sean has been responsible for five to eight million dollars uh, going to the Make a Wish Foundation. That's totally outside incredible. of golf, but you know he's got St. Jude Hospital there. Anyways, it's it, those those things have been have been really good. Well, uh, just kind of wrapping up here, uh, and can't thank you enough for all your help and the foundation's help with uh, helping us kind of get the Murray County Junior Golf Initiative launched. I'd like for you to say some closing comments about how moving ahead, the linkage between the Tennessee Golf Foundation and the Murray County Junior Golf Initiative, some of the things that you can see and some of the things that we've been working closely on and trying to progress this year, one being getting some programming launched and things of that nature. Well, uh, let me start by thanking you, Rodney. It was, you were the, the vision, but, but, but you were a bulldog. You just didn't, you just haven't let go. And if there was anything with COVID and the pandemic to run everybody off and quit, we certainly had that opportunity. And, and in that vision, you know, tying the schools in, the, the three schools there at uh, uh, Baker, we've got elementary, middle, and high school, uh, building a green with a new progressive grass that, um, quite frankly, could could, could revolutionize the, the, the transition area that we live in. Um, but, you know, all of a sudden, the kids aren't in school. Right. And, and so we've got the green. We're keeping it up. Um, you know, we want to work with the golf courses here in, in, in the community. And, uh, you know, I'm delighted to see that all of them are playing plenty of rounds of golf, which means they're, they're going to be healthy. They're, if it's private or public, they've got rounds of golf. I think everybody understands that, uh, you know, the vision has to be for the next generation of golfers. If you're going to survive in the golf business, you've got to have new players, and that's where the kids are. So I, I think we've got everything identified and lined up we just need to get we just need to get the masks off the pandemic behind us and and certainly not for for golf as a big deal i mean for our young people getting back to school and, right and so anyways we're poised and ready we had a nice golf tournament we raised enough money to yeah. to keep the dream alive we haven't you know we haven't every time we get a good idea we can't implement it because we've got masks on we can't we're you know we're but i I would i would say that um in the fall god willing we will be back to everybody in school right and um we'll put we'll put somebody in the community to be kind of our leader part-time or full-time right and um you know this, this is you know i i i love murray county and you know, my wife is from here, so I gotta love it. But right. I do, but I do really. I enjoy it, and knowing the people in this community, it's it's a really it's an, an exciting place for us to say we're going to make golf good for the young people here. And and again, thank you for. I mean, in in your business yeah. as an architect, you're all over the country, yeah. and um, you could have a long time ago packed it in, but well, you're but I, you want to see it. It's been a team. Uh, from the community to the school district to the local community leaders, we've all worked together, and I hope that continues as we move ahead. I'd like to encourage listeners, the Greens out there, uh, the school team can use it for practice. Uh, the community can stop by there and roll some putts. I hope everyone enjoys it, and um, 
helps us. Uh, we're going to try to have another golf tournament in the fall and yep. come out and support us and uh, look forward just to continuing the effort to uh, grow junior golf here in Murray County. Uh, for your time, thank you again. Um, known you a long time now. You've always been a gentleman. I, I've learned a lot from you. Uh, consider you someone that I definitely look up to, admire, respect. Thank you again and uh, look forward to seeing you again down the road. Thank you.